hear this term, great gain. Youngji, do you mind shooting that up there? What do you think about? Maybe just briefly with the person next to you, do you mind just sharing? Like, what comes to mind when you think of this term? Great gain. Go ahead. I wanted to kind of just illustrate maybe a few things that might come to mind. So uh, I need a few volunteers, uh, these four, and then Jerry, <laughs> do you mind coming up? I just wanted to pick people that maybe they are comfortable being on stage, so please come on up. So don't look at the card. Just place it on your, your chest, okay? Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Because I believe that we live in a culture that tries to define what great gain is. And maybe a few things that might come to mind might be some of these things, all right? So we will start uh, with Julie. What does yours say? You can flip it around. This is her occupation. It says CEO of Disney, and she makes $15 million a year per salary. Right? We'll go next. Jerry, how about you? It says he is uh, the prince of Kenya. <laughs> Royalty, power, riches. Go ahead, Mike. Mike is a K-pop idol, considered top 10 most famous in the world, right? What's a good K-pop band these days? Uh, BTS. Okay, so he's part of BTS. Bobby, what about you? What does it say? Bobby's a YouTube star, and he has 10 million followers, okay? Paul, what about you? Paul's a gigolo. <laughs> And, you know, just from looking at him, you can tell many women, very attracted, a different woman every weekend, okay? Now, here's the thing. Some of this is a little funny and stuff, right? But I believe that we live in a culture that in some way, form, or fashion tries to influence all of us in this room. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we will buy into the truth that great gain in this life actually is relationships, money, sex, experience, job, success, power. And here's the most dangerous thing about that, is that that all of a sudden then starts to cultivate our direction, our pursuit, our mindset, and that becomes the ultimate thing that we pursue in this life. All right, let's give him a hand. You guys could all sit down. Thank you. Give it back. And although these things that I mentioned, they're really not bad in and of themselves. 
But if they become the main thing, then that becomes a great gain that we pursue. So Paul has a word for us this morning, church. Because he wants to define for us what is the great gain that we ought to be pursuing in this life. And he puts it very simply for us. He says this, next slide, that great gain is godliness with contentment. So what does that even mean? Well, it means this. Having Jesus and being fully satisfied in him is the greatest thing that you can acquire in this life. Amen, church? All right, the three of you that are awake, I want to thank you for that amen. But for the rest of us, having Jesus and being fully satisfied in him is the greatest thing as a Christian that you can accomplish and gain in this world. Amen? Amen. And that's the thing, is do you believe this? And do we live it out? Here's the thing. Don't define godliness as morality. When it says godliness, what that means is having Jesus. Having Jesus is the only way to be godly. When he places his righteousness in us and he works in our life, that's what godliness is. And so Paul is saying, when you have Jesus and he's working in your life, and on top of that, you find satisfaction in him, That is the greatest thing you can find in this life. See, we know that contentment is so valuable. I mean, it's so valuable. Martin Luther called contentment next to faith the highest art for the Christian. But here's the unique thing about contentment that very few believers experience it on a day-to-day basis, although we understand and maybe we've even experienced this to a certain degree. That sometimes it's really hard to find it each and every day. I don't know about you, but I struggle with it. Discontentment tries to sneak into my heart all the time. I remember when I was in Gordon-Conwell and I was studying, and this is a seminary in Boston. I had a dear brother of mine. His name was Michael. He's an African-American pastor. And I remember we were having lunch, and he shared with me, he said, you know, hey, John, I just spoke at this church this past weekend. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he said, you know, they paid me $3,000 for that speaking engagement. I was like, what? Because usually pastors get paid about $100 per sermon, just so you're aware. So I was like shocked. I was like, it must have been a good sermon, right? 3000 I mean, but he was like, no, you know, at this church, it's very unique. What they do is when you preach, they take an offering right after. And so if your sermon, and they, they'll go up and they'll be like, if this brother has blessed you today, I want you to give an offering to him. And whatever goes in that basket, I just take home. I was like, I need to speak at that, that church. <laughs> Get me signed up. But here's the unique thing. He was just sharing with me. It was like such a blessing for him because his parents had been struggling really bad during that season. She was like, it was such a blessing because that money, I gave it all to my parents and it really blessed them. So, you know, to be honest, I got super happy in the beginning. I was like, that's so awesome, Mike. I'm so happy for you. And then I went home and then discontentment started to kind of sneak into my heart. 
Like, I should have been just happy for my friend, but guess what happened? I started thinking, and please don't judge me. I know I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to think these things, but what started going to my head was like, oh, my gosh. I will never make $3,000, maybe even in a month in my life. There are people, friends of mine, who are buying their parents' cars. When I bought my house, I had to ask my parents to pay for my property tax because I couldn't afford it. And then thoughts started to take me down this hole where I found myself discontent about my situation alone. Do you, I mean, do you struggle? I mean, do you feel that as you walk through life? This is why I believe if you struggle, as I do, why Paul's word for us this morning is so important. Because he has some wise words for us on not just telling us that this is important, but trying to help us to understand how we can get there. So that's where we're going. Are you guys with me? I don't know if you've noticed, I like a little participation, right? So, um, are you guys with me? Yes. yes? All right, good. Thank you. So, we're going to go. Paul has a just, just wise words from God's Word to tell us some truths about how we can find godliness with contentment. Truth number one, he says that contentment is not found in the excess of life. If you look at verse 7 and 8, it says this. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I'm sure you've seen this. This is a picture of a t-shirt. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. And you've seen this in bumper stickers, in a car, or whatever, mug, whatever it is. And Paul looks at that and says, eh, actually, that's false. He says, in actuality, you cannot take anything, so the accumulation of goods is useless. So, not only that, our focus should be on the basic essentials of life, just the basics you need. So, in essence, you should focus on your needs and be content, not your wants and be discontent. You following? Okay. Because when you want, 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 what you're saying is, I don't have, have, have right now. Until, until you have, 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 maybe you won't be happy. Maybe you won't be content. For example, if you're single, you want to get married. And you might be thinking to yourself, right now, I have a good job. I have a house that I live in. I have a car. A lot of my basic needs are fulfilled. If you focus on that, the Word of God is telling you you can be content. But he's saying, if you focus on the fact of what you do not have and say, until I get married, I'm actually never going to be happy then discontent will creep into your life. And if we're not careful, we can be people that think that contentment is found in the acquiring, in the excess of life, having more. And if you've read the Bible at all, this is literally what King Solomon does in Ecclesiastes 2. He explains to you, he does a social experiment of trying to gather 
experience, acquire, to fulfill every checklist in the want that he has in life. And it's such profound truth for us, right? I, we don't have a lot of time, but I kind of want us to walk through that. So, uh, Youngjoo, you mind? Ecclesiastes 2, 1. This is Solomon and how he lived his life. All the wants he gets. He says this, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he's going to explain to you. He said, I've tried laughter, wine, pleasure, and he's going to list a bunch of things that he tries to fulfill in his life. Okay? He goes on, he says this, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools. He's literally saying, I had success in life, in work. I made great projects, social works to help people around me. Okay? Maybe that would be a fulfillment, a satisfaction in life. He goes on, he says in verse 7, I have male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house, right? He's like, yeah, people under me, people that could do all the work for me. Maybe that would be the answer. No, nope, that's not it either. He goes on, he says, I have possessions of herds and flocks, right? These are signs of wealth. Verse 8, I gather for myself silver and gold. I got singers. Maybe it's entertainment I need. Many concubines. Maybe it's relationships. I just need more experiences with people. And then in verse 11, he gives a conclusion to this social experiment. He says this, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. It was meaningless. It did not accomplish the satisfaction and contentment I was seeking. It was a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If you study Ecclesiastes, under the sun is a phrase you see all the time, meaning it's stuff that's earthly, while above the sun is the eternal things, the heavenly things. And so he's saying, on this earth, I tried everything in excess, gathering, trying to experience. And he's saying all of that will not satisfy. Paul is telling us the same thing, that your contentment will not be found in the excess of life. You cannot take it with you. So focus on your basic needs. Here's a little video. It's kind of a current example because there are people in our life right now who have all of these things like King Solomon does. So there's a bunch of celebrities that's going to share that have experienced fame, wealth, money, and I want you to hear what they say about their experience of gathering in the excess of life. So go ahead, take a look. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an actress that I uh, knew, and she said, are you just like so happy all the time? Why am I unhappy? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? Why is it that you want to quit music? And I remember thinking like, oh, that sitcom's coming. Like that sitcom, it's coming, it's coming. 
And when I got it, I mean, I won't say it was a depression, but you kind of go through a disappointment because it can't, it, that fame or that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it was going to satisfy. I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. I had everything a man could want, even then. I had, I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life. I had um, cars, a house, an incredible, uh, a solid gold career and, and a future. And yet on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. As a Beatle, we made it and there was nothing to do. We had money, we had uh, fame and there was no joy. I was successful in the music business, I was successful in modeling, in television, in real estate. So I made all this money and I had all this success. And here I was going, okay, I still don't feel any different. I was surrounded by all this wealth and all this fame and all this power. And yet they were all miserable and I had never been more miserable. You know, I thought that all would be helped and healed and soothed by fame. Because when I get famous, then I will, I will be less lonely yes. and I will be understood and I will be loved and that love will go in and heal any of the broken parts. And then I came to see that it was actually quite isolating. This is what the Bible tries to tell us. And if we've been following and tracking throughout this series, this is what it's saying. That it's not found in the world. And if we're not careful and we define great gain as these things, then we will start to pursue it. I love this quote. It says this. With all that we have, more things, more wealth, more toys, more abundance, more reasons to be optimistic, and yet more emptiness, more depression, more emotional pain than at any time in history. Many people go to bed exhausted and wake up tired, discontent, not satisfied, wanting more, thinking that is the solution. And then Jesus looks at us, his beloved sons and daughters, and he says to us, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. Sometimes we just miss the message that Jesus is where we find our godliness with contentment. I want to give you a few verses. Isaiah 55.1. This is God speaking to his people in the Old Testament. And he says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's talking about himself. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food, which is Jesus himself. Let me give you another verse. Psalm 23, 1. And I don't know if you ever caught this, but this is so profound what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm the sheep. He's the shepherd. He provides for all my basic needs. I don't need to go finding all sorts of other things to fulfill me. And then he says something very profound. He says, I shall not want. 
I'm going to tell you right now, there is a correlation between how much you focus on Jesus in this life and how much you want some other stuff in your life. And for David, what he experienced here is he's so near to God, where he experiences him as his shepherd. And so he finds the godliness with contentment. So there isn't this unquenchable desire for more. So that's point one. The second thing, I'm just going to warn you, he's going to talk about money. He says in verse 9 and 10, I'm going to read it for us. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul wants to address the issue of money in the Christian life because, Christian, you can become this person that he just described in verse 9 and 10 if we are not careful with how we handle money in our lives. You can literally become the opposite of godliness with contentment if we do not handle money well. I want to tell you something. If you read the Bible, the Bible, there is a healthy respect for the power of money in the Christian. Like for for us in this room, can I just ask you a question? How many of you guys love money? Raise your hand. Oh, that's pretty good. I was expecting no one. Thank you for being honest. Okay? But here's the thing. When he says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, that's very revealing. It's easy to fall in temptation for money. It happens so quickly and sometimes so subtly in our lives, even as believers. You mind shooting that up, young dude? These are the words that he uses to describe a person that falls into the temptation where they love money. He says that it creates desires and cravings and pursuits of it. And then that leads to, listen to these words, temptation, snares, senseless, harmful desires, ruin, destruction, wander away from the faith and bring many pains. He is describing to you that money, if we do not handle it correctly, cannot only lead to physical, current difficulty and destruction, but it has internal impact in our lives. You can literally walk away from the faith because of money becoming a trap and a snare for you. So we need to be very careful. And we've seen maybe examples of this, haven't we? You know, when my brother was in prison, I went to visit him, and then I got to meet one of his roommates. And he was a Korean gentleman, kind of in his 40s. And I'm going to tell you right now, when I saw him, he did not look like a criminal. He looked like he belonged in our church. He had glasses, no tattoos, okay? Kind of normal hairstyle. And my brother was like, oh, hey, this is my brother. He's a pastor. And the guy was like, oh, nice to meet you, pastor. And he shared his name. I was like, wow, you don't belong here. Why are you here? And I got to hear his story. You know what his story was? He was actually on the praise team, a Christian, 
out of church. Got into gambling. He said the worst thing that happened in his life was he won a large amount of money gambling. So he went from, hey, this is kind of fun. 100 bucks here. My wife knows how much I'm spending. It's all good. And then, bam, he hit it big. And then, what, what happened? You fall into the temptation. And then he caught himself losing everything. He lost so much that he took out money from a loan shark. Took it to try to make that money back. He went and lost all of it, close to 20 grand. The loan shark said, hey, you got to pay me back. It was a lady. And if you don't pay me back by this certain, certain date, I'm going to kill your wife and your daughter. He went back that night with a knife and he killed the loan shark. And it doesn't even have to be that extreme. Because we know people, because of money and the love of it, have sacrificed family, sacrificed relationships, sacrificed time with God. And Paul is looking at the church and saying, look, I just told you that the greatest gain in this life is godliness with contentment. And one of the biggest traps in this world is money because we need it, but God is telling you don't love it. And that's a, that's a tricky thing. Here's a few things that the Bible tells us, and I think it's important for us to know. If you know Ecclesiastes 5.10, do you mind shooting that up? This verse is very telling. It says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That's truth for you. I'm going to tell you right now. A person that loves money, they will never have enough money. They will always want more. It's never enough. The Bible knows that. He goes on to say, Nor he who loves wealth with his income. And this is also meaningless. Meaning it will just lead to vanity, nothingness. But I think the biggest thing the Bible tries to tell us is that it, money, if it becomes the main thing, it becomes your master and it sidetracks you from actually the main thing, which is God. If you look at Matthew 6, 24, Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you think about that, that's a very extreme statement, Right? It's like, God, I got some money. I still love you. Why you got to be all extreme like that? <laughs> right? But he says something, and I think it's very telling, because he has a healthy understanding of us and respect for money. And he knows how strong and powerful it can be, even for a believer that is saved. And so he's literally telling you is, you cannot. You will either love and hate, be devoted or not devoted. And so for us, I just want to challenge you. Because we say this a lot at our church, and it's just true. Most of us are considered probably the top, you know, 5 to 10% richest in the world. And so the question has to be, how do we handle money? Is God your master or is money your master? Is God who dictates your life or is it money which dictates your life? You know, I, I just uh, I heard that Francis Chan, he was sharing... 
He's a pastor. You know, in 2015, Francis Chan made $500,000. Not from his church. Church paid him nothing. He got it all from book sales and from speaking engagements. And he shared, he gave 90% of it away. How does that make you feel? It kind of made me feel uncomfortable. I was like, 90? Can you just give 50? I mean, like, 90? It's a lot. You could save for your college, for your kids. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. And then he started to share why. Because he shared that he believes what the word of God says about money. He didn't want it to control him. He wanted to use it for God's purposes. God was not his... Money was not his God or his master. God was. And he said, I could adequately live on $50,000. That is a brother that is living this out. And I'm going to just tell you right now, this is not easy in the culture that we live in. And if you are a person that struggles in this area, you need to ask your community group to pray for you. You need to tell your wife or husband, maybe some even some couples don't even share how powerful money is such a struggle for them. Maybe you sleep thinking about money and thinking like there's so much stress because I don't have enough, I can't pay for this, I'm trying to save for this, and that's what you're consumed on. Think about it. If you just are so consumed about that, where does God fit in your life and mine? So Paul addresses something very specific. If you are a person that realizes that godliness with contentment is the greatest thing you can pursue in this life, one of the biggest hindrances could be money. So don't let it be your master. Lay it before the feet of Jesus. And be people that give, that understand that God is the one that has taken care of you up to this point, and you will be okay. I know this is cheesy. My Irvine people don't like it when I do this, but I'm just going to make you do it, all right? So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say something. I want you to say, don't make money your master. Do you mind doing that? Okay, I can hear. Some of you are not doing it, all right? <laughs> I, my urban people don't like this. I, they're like, so cheesy, Pastor. Why you got to make this? But it's a declaration. Like, you're, you're accountable for the person next to you. Like, don't, don't do this. Paul's literally, he could have brought up all sorts of stuff. But he brings up money because it is a big, big trap. And we can easily slip and fall into the temptation to love it more than we ought to. The third thing, in verse 11 and 12, he tries to summarize kind of the main points that he's been trying to make. Because he wants us to flee and fight. Okay, so just kind of pay attention to that as we read this. It says this, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What are these things? Well, the things that he just mentioned. Flee. Get away from it. 
Don't fall into it. So pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. These are all things that are developed in us when we are in Christ, when the Holy Spirit is working in us. So it's literally telling us, I wish we had more time to break all this down, but we don't. So I just want to make it just clear. When you spend time with Jesus, these are the things that kind of starts to develop in our lives. Pursue it. Meaning, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Don't waste your energy. Flee from those other things I just mentioned and fight. Put effort. Put work. And fight the good fight of the faith. And he goes on to say, take hold of the eternal life. I love that. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What he's literally telling you To find godliness and contentment, there are some things we have to flee away from, and there are things that we need to fight for. And both of those things have to work together to bring you into a place where you think about Jesus and the eternity that we are going to spend with him. And when you do that, you start focusing and investing in things that matter for eternity and not for the things here. Um, here's another quote from Francis Chan. This is probably one of my favorites. It says this. Our greatest fear in life, right, should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I wonder how much energy is being spent, how much fight we're giving to things in this life that don't matter in the area of God or eternity. And so Paul is literally saying, don't be so focused on just right here. It's a blip. It's a mist. And we are prepared and created for so much more. And so if you start just focusing on just and fighting for money, possessions, excess, gathering, possession, you're going to get lost. And Paul's fear is that maybe it might even have spiritual detriment and destruction in your life. And he's like, Jesus has so much more for you and I. Church. Jesus has so much more for you and I than the Orange County house, car, bank. There's, there's more. There's more we ought to be living for. I hope that this is a sobering reminder. Because if I said, who wants godliness and contentment in this room, all of you would raise your hand. But that takes you to flee from the things that are dangerous and to fight to have more of Christ in your life. Accept the invitation each day when Jesus says, come to me, 
all. And let's let Jesus become the master and Lord of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, God, we just want to be honest before you. You, God, you know our hearts. You know that we are here because we love you. But the world we live in speaks messages prodding us to try to pursue things that are maybe some of the things that we talked about this morning. And maybe we're starting to love some of these things more than you. So we thank you for the word this morning that reminds us that our greatest gain in life is you. To have you and to be satisfied fully in you is where we want to be. But we can't do that without you. So Jesus, we ask of you to do a work in our lives, God. We love you, that you care for us so dearly in this way. In your precious name we pray.